This is Sophie Aldred, ace from Doctor Who, and you are listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'll see you in the future. Welcome to Too Much Scrolling for December 27th, 2022. I'm Steve Fodor. I'm Boxing Day Santa Claus, Steve. It's the day after Boxing Day. You've already missed Boxing Day and Christmas, Sinterklaas, Chip. <laughs> well, I'm tired, man. I'm a tired boy. <laughs> it is a day of rest today, my friend. Time to watch some videos, some movies, maybe some streaming services, and listen to some podcasts. Clean up all. Of, can somebody clean up all of these presents and all this wrapping paper, please? Film at 11. Brings us to our film at 11, our movie of the week. Hey, Chip, did you make it to the movie theater this week? Steve, every time I sat down and said, do I have three hours to go through an (laughs) Avatar movie? I said, no. No. So at this point, I did not see that, but I did see a few things. We will get to the Avatar movie one day, right? We will see the Avatar movie and we'll be absolutely floored by the technology. Well, we'll see. You got a chance to see A Bad Mom's Christmas. This was from 2017, the sequel to Bad Moms, the 2016 uh, Our Wives Are Going to the Movies movie. All right, so I did watch this. I saw, I, somehow this missed me, and I saw the advertisement. It's not for- aimed at you, Chip. It's aimed squarely at the middle-aged women in your life. But look at this. This has got such a great cast. Mm-hmm. It's got uh, Emilio Kunis in it. It's got Kristen Bell, Catherine Hahn. And then you throw in um, you know, Susan Sarandon. You've got Cheryl Hines and Christine Baranski. This is a great cast. Mm-hmm. This should be a really funny movie. But it really runs into the, the, the problem with um, Adam Sandler movies. That is this a, a family movie? Or is this like a you know a naughty adult movie, and the, the it goes back and forth on it, and mm-hmm. so there's a to me that's the real issue, is with a movie like this you really do appreciate uh, John Hughes, because this movie really could have been or really, in my opinion, should have been like a Christmas vacation type of mm-hmm. uh, type of uh, film, but what we really got was you know a bunch of inappropriate stuff with a lot of family stuff and it just doesn't really hit its mark i'm gonna say this movie is i don't know 35 out of 100 okay Uh, not bad i mean sorry that sounds bad not great certainly there's some funny scenes in it a cast that's this talented that this is that is absolutely this talented should have a better script Mm -hmm. and a better focus on who the um the audience says in my opinion i will say that that the um the when the credits started rolling and they sang together very very funny okay enjoyable there's plenty of enjoyable uh parts in this and if you find it and want to watch it yeah i i think that you should just be aware that this is more of an, a grown-up film so when the credits are the best part of the movie that is not a great endorsement for the movie well, that's that part. Whereas, what's the best part of the movie? When it ends. <laughs> <laughs> so after that, you went back to your holiday traditions and watched some of the classic Christmas tales. 
Yeah, I, I needed something on while I, you know, was doing anything for the holidays. And, you know, there's there's a lot to, I shouldn't call it dead time, but there's a lot of open time that, you know, you're, you're making cookies, you're doing something, put something on that you can watch and that you've seen before. Mm-hmm. And these are two excellent films. I'm actually going to talk about them together. You have Miracle on 34th Street from 1947, and you have White Christmas from 1954. And... I know why these are classics. These certainly hit some. It's it's a, it's an engaging story. It's it's not overly intense. It can work for an all ages audience if young people can get over that. Many of these are in black and white. Mm. Although I did see uh, White Christmas, it was colorized. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the the Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street was. I did see it in black and white. These are excellent films. Just, I mean, they're they're playful and fun, and they've got a story, but they really are meant for all ages and joyous. There's so much joy in the storytelling of Christmas time from that era. Well, Steve, nothing like going out to Vermont and seeing snow. I'm sorry, there's no snow coming, <laughs> uh, and then throwing on a show because you're going to make it work for the general. He was good to us, Steve. And then Miracle on 34th Street, when it ends and you go, hmm, did Santa really deliver the house? Maybe. You mm-hmm. never know. It's a love story, Steve. Put a little bow on it. Yeah. These these are some classic stories. Uh, again, the, the difference between storytelling in the 1940s and 1950s versus the 2020s, there's, there's a lot more emphasis on that relationship between even strangers in these movies. And uh, I don't know that we get the same storytelling today. Well, yeah, sit around, have some coffee, and watch a parade. Steve, I wasn't the only person who got to watch the holiday movies. You got to watch some holiday movies, too. Tell us about Mystery Science Theater 3000's Christmas Dragon. (laughs) Remember last week when I reviewed Mystery Science Theater, the Christmas Dragon? (laughs) You you wanted to go into a deeper analysis of it, didn't you? (laughs) Here's, Here's the problem, Chip. There is a running gag in this riff where Emily sings simply having a wonderful Christmas time about six times in the riff of this movie. And so as a result, six times too much, at least. So as a result, every time somebody brought that up in my life this week, I just wanted to watch this movie again. This movie is so fun. It's so silly. A group of orphans go on a journey to restore the lost magic and save Christmas. I swear to you, Chip, this is a fun riff. Season finale, it's got to be the best, right? Season 13 of Mystery Science Theater going into season 14, simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Steve, is it a Patrick Swayze Christmas? Yes, they do sing Patrick Swayze Christmas in this episode. Of course they do. Yes. It's like, it's like they, it's like they, no one's going to put baby in a corner, Steve. And then you're going to wrap your arms around Demi, uh, Demi Moore and uh, make some clay pots. 
the whole Patrick Swayze Christmas. I love this movie. I love this season of Mystery Science Theater. I look forward to seeing season 14. I also kicked in all of my holiday traditions this week. We watched A Muppet Family Christmas from 1987, a, a special from TV, a TV special. Somebody has uploaded the full version, complete with the original commercials from 1987 to YouTube, and uh, it is joyous to listen to a a pig and a frog falling in love at Christmas. Steve, is this was this a VCR tape? Is that do you think that's what it was? I believe that this was recorded straight off of uh ABC on yeah. VHS and then uploaded to YouTube with all of the original commercials. And so yes, you can find a link to that in our show notes. Well, there's probably lots of Kenner Star Wars uh figurines of uh, this, which brings us to our our next, um, I don't know, Christmas tradition. tradition. Yes, sir. Christmas tradition. Say it. Yes. I watch all of the Star Wars movies on Christmas Day. That is what happens in my home every year on December 25th. What's this asterisk when, when you use the word all? I said all of the Star Wars movies. Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, and The Return of the Jedi, 1977, <laughs> 1980, and 1983. That's what I said. I, I stand by what I said. Maybe Rogue One. Maybe I watched the last 15 minutes of Rogue One before Star Wars, 1977. You never know, Steve. Maybe you can grab your, your favorite cocktail with midichlorians. Yeah. <laughs> Blue milk, blue milk with a side of metachlorians, please. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> There's no movies coming out this week, Chip. There's nothing on our on our opening streaming list. It, it is really interesting. I mean, it's not interesting. You know, we, we had a few special releases for Christmas Day, mm -hmm. and they released everything for before Christmas, sort of like maybe the, the way it arrived on the week with being Sunday. Right. And the that, calendar was, was part of this conversation for sure. And I still think they're struggling with release schedules. I mean, what do you think we had? We had Avatar, the mm -hmm. three-hour movie, which three is... three-hour movie. Well, exactly. You never know. It's Gilligan the way of water, have... right? Yes. Gilligan's in it. Yes, he is. <laughs> oh, Bob Denver. I think he's dead. Bob Denver and John Denver with the they're both They're both gone. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everyone. Book it, book it, book it. Book it, book it, book it. Book it. Book it. Book it. Book it. Brings us to our book at our book of the week. You know, Chip, we have met so many wonderful people, so many great authors over the years, writing about so many different eras of history. Steve, you know, the important, the most important area is the most awesome era. And that would be our youth, the 1980s. Oh, boy, Chip, did you find another author to talk about my favorite era of, of American history? Yes, I think we need to go back to you know the current time 1986 go back to the future so teddy durgan wrote a book and he is here with us this morning good morning teddy good morning my son how are you we are doing incredibly well we're going to learn about the totally gnarly way bogus murder of muffy mcgregor 
It just rolls off your tongue, doesn't it? <laughs> From the 1980s, it does. It does, of course. Absolutely. So this is your book. It was published in 2016. And yes. I'm I'm totally, totally like I want to know about your book, Teddy. Well, it's very rad. Um, no, it's uh it's about a um well the the idea of it was I love John Hughes movies, okay? And I was like, what if John Hughes had ever written a teenage murder mystery? And not putting myself up there in his company stuff, but I, I would have loved to have seen that. And so I just started writing it. And uh, it's about Sam, who is an unpopular teenager at his high school. So during summer vacation, he is working at the local mall, as one does in the 80s. And uh, so a murder happens at the mall, and it is the most popular girl in school, the cheerleader, Muffy McGregor. And he gets this idea that in, you know, everybody's inept around all, all the adults in the 80s are usually inept, you know, especially in a John Hughes movie. And uh -huh. um, so he gets this idea that, you know what, it was probably somebody who knew her in my age range and stuff. If I can solve this murder this summer, I can go back to school in the fall and be popular. And uh, so that kind of becomes his drive for the story. He kind of teams up with this local PI that the family's hired because the police aren't being very effective in it. And he's this kind of you know, guy who hangs around the mall and you know chases people who are having affairs and stuff and lost what happens at the mall. And so Sam uh, hoodwinks his friend into uh, joining him on this kind of Scooby-Doo quest to, uh, to find the murderer. Well, Steve, I will bet that they go to Shermer High School. There is no Shermer in Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I did take my cue from Hughes, is that that's kind of, you know, he wrote from where he grew up. Mm -hmm. And so I set the book in my hometown of Laurel, Maryland, uh, which is a suburb of Washington, Baltimore, about equidistant between the two. And it was just like your quintessential 80s suburb back then. It was based around a mall. Uh, you, had, uh, you had the high school dynamics in play. Uh, it was, you know, kind of... the started the, the 20 years after the suburban sprawl kind of thing. So it was kind of entrenched at that point, but you also had the little history of the town. And then you had a whole bunch of retailers and stuff that are not existing anymore. So you had that kind of period piece part of it that I could work into the, like I could weave into the story, you know, like, like the Roy Rogers fast food chain and, you know, Zares and things like that. Although I, I, I heard that someone bought Roy Rogers, the there franchise, is. and they, and they have recreated it. Yeah, there's one franchisee left. God bless him. I went back to Maryland recently, and and one of the first things I did was go to Roy Rogers because um, oh. I, I live in North Carolina now. It's, it's uh, so there's one franchisee left. I think he has about forty locations, and um, yeah, yeah, he just actually opened one on the campus of University of Maryland College Park. So, oh, how yeah. awesome is that? And for those of us, I'm sorry, who are really young. Malls are places that stores would be put inside. It's like a city block inside. <laughs> thank God for thank God for Stranger Things, you know, and the kids love the Stranger Things now because it they, it really is an education and in, in addition to a, a pretty fun show. <laughs> that is amazing, and certainly Laurel, Maryland, and the Chicago area are very similar as far as um, the wealth, the, the the type of malls that they would have, the communities. I mean. That was very insightful of you to kind of use your hometown, much like yeah. uh, a huge used Chicago land as, exactly. as his playground. Muffy's family is very rich. Sam lives with his mom, a divorced mom, in an apartment in the same town. So there's that there's that social dynamic too that was at play in 
in some of the 80s stuff that we saw and enjoyed and, and in real life. So what makes the 1980s the perfect decade for a story? Well, for one, I, I like to fashion myself a humorist. Um, it, it's, it's a murder story. Yes, it's sad a teenager's been killed in the story, but it's not a very serious story. It's, it's tongue-in-cheek. It's funny, uh, hopefully. And um, so in the 80s, uh, you can, if you set your, your book in the 80s or your movie or story or TV show, you can get away with a little bit more humor than if you set it today. Characters can just spout off stuff that you just can't do anymore. So you have this, there's a little bit more freedom in writing Character, humor, uh, byplay between characters. Uh, it was when I grew up, so obviously it was something, you know, I say, write what you know. So uh, I was a teenager in the 80s, so it was very easy to remember a lot of conversations and kind of weave in stuff that was really said, you know? And so it, there's a, you, you kind of try to have it, there be a certain authenticity to whatever you work, even if it's just something silly set in, you know, 1986 or whether it's set, you know, in the halls of power of the, of the 40s. We've had a lot of discussions on Too Much Scrolling about that shorthand that we have as uh, members of Generation X getting through that time of the 80s. There's a lot of pop culture that we all knew because there was a limited stack of pop culture. Today, kids have just absolutely unlimited, and that leads to they don't have that same ability to share those ideas from what they saw last night on one of the three TV stations. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, just imagine being someone who is born today and now you have catch-up learning to do you have all the star wars movies all the harry potters um you know all the all the marvel stuff now you know i mean this was stuff that was new to us we discovered it it was written for us and, and we experienced it firsthand and yeah that was that was great we that was that was that shared communal spirit experience that when you grew up at least i mean kids who were teens in the 80s grew up in the 70s as children and so you did have like just like three channels, ABC, NBC, and CBS, and then some UHF, which ran stuff that was like, you know, cowboy movies and John Wayne, you know, stuff that you didn't sure. really that interested in and stuff. And it's everybody, the, the, the yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, yeah. And in, 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 uh, in gosh, in DC, there was what captain 20 and, and he, the same guy was, uh, he did a creature feature host, you know, kind of like Peter Vincent in Fright Night. Um, so yeah, you, but you, you shared it all, you know, like when the, you know, like the last episode of MASH aired, it was an event the day after that nuclear war movie in 83, you know, and so, and so you went in, you, you, you geared yourself up for it. And then you, everybody was talking about it the next day, as opposed to now where you do have like so much more programming and channels and storytelling. And it's, it's all fragment. You can be so specialized now in, in your, in your interests and, and stuff. It's, 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 it's rare when you get something like an Avengers Endgame, which galvanizes and a lot of people see it. It's kind of like going and, and getting detention. And like one person from each group having to spend all day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, worrying right. about each other. <laughs> all my friends who were eighties are like, you couldn't imagine if the eighties, you know, or imagine if the Breakfast Club was made today. That those dynamics would just be very, very different and stuff. So yeah, yeah. Oh, they certainly would be, and and sort of even how they would talk to each other. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's there's mean girls. There's there's tough situations. Young people today can certainly be much um, freer, more open with who they are, and certainly find their community, um, you know, if they're, if they're lucky enough to live in their area. Well, I say, if you made the Breakfast Club today, the first scene would be them taking away the phone, like Vernon, mm -hmm. the, you know, the the authority the figure, have to take the phones away so they could get the characters to talk to each other. And uh, so 
it would be interesting. You know, it would be certainly interesting. And in in the in the olden times, we had to <laughs> we had to cut off communications in a horror movie. That was the first thing that we needed to do. Now, yeah. horror movies they have to eliminate that phone. That phone mm-hmm. becomes that lifeline that we are so dependent upon. The 1980s was a very different time, Teddy. It was, and it was you. You almost have to spend an extra page or two of your script or your, your book just getting to the point where you have cut the people off from the communication. Whereas before. It was you, know, you just didn't have that extra couple minutes where you're like, well, come on, he has a cell phone, he can do this or whatever, you know. So, yeah, yeah, you're totally right. So, so the murders happen. Tell us a little bit about the story that goes along trying to solve this. Okay, so Muffy gets blown up in a car in the uh, parking garage of the the mall, and so um, was it the Libyans? <laughs> now, and but the funny thing was was. Him and his friend Chip, they go out and they're kind of okay. They just start. They use this situation. Their their moms are coming to pick them up at the mall from their jobs, and so because they don't have cars, and uh, so they start because it's so tense. They start joking around at the mall with each other and just kind of stupid ways that fifteen year olds joke around with each other, sixteen year olds, and they start laughing. And somebody takes their picture, and that makes them laugh even harder. And then, so like the next day or two in the local Laurel Leader newspaper, their picture is plastered on the front of the paper and it says, two friends grieving over the loss of a fallen classmate. Well, they're laughing, they're not actually crying. And so suddenly they do get a bit of popularity or notoriety amongst the people of the school because all of a sudden they become the poster kids for this tragedy when in fact they were actually laughing. And so it kind of, pulls in the one character chip uh into the thing because now he has to kind of uh you know solve this thing too because suddenly they're like oh my gosh i didn't know you knew her so well and that kind of thing and they have to go to the funeral and all sorts of stuff which they never would have gone to before but um so you have that kind of you always have to find drive as to what what drives you and you have to like the characters too and see what the end so and then you have to learn along the way about you know hey maybe popularity isn't the most important thing and that kind of stuff and uh, but of course, there are twists and turns as they get further into it. They find that, you know, the Muffy was had some relationships that she shouldn't have had. And there could be some other there could be a little bit more sinister thing happening there. It wasn't just, you know, an old 80s car, unfortunately, you know, exploding like a pinto or something, you know. So, yeah, there's, there, as they get a, there's a shorthand right there. <laughs> exploding like yeah, a pinto and, is a very specific yes. moment in time, my friend. And, 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 for, and, and for our young listeners. Pentos were cars that were made <laughs> that did explode. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, one of the best moments in a movie called Top Secret was where they, yes. they, uh, they, they just dings the the, the, top, the Pinto. They, they screech a hole, ding the bumper, and the thing blows up. It's great, great, great scene. But another thing with the, with the book that's interesting, I think, to people who who have read it, who grew up in the time, was that I time the entire story to the events of the summer of 1986. So as you go through that summer, you have things like um, the death of Len Bias, who was a University of Maryland basketball sure. player who got drafted by the Boston Celtics and then died just a couple, few days later of a, of a drug overdose. So that and, it, and it's in Maryland. There. So it factors a little bit into the plot when, you know, he's trying to connect with his father in the movie, the, the main character. Like if they say, hey. Aliens is coming out this weekend. Well, I really figured out that that was the weekend that Aliens was coming out. You could go back and research as to that that July weekend. And um, is that a prequel just, to Avatar? 
Oh, <laughs> James Cameron. Thank you very much. Yeah, the, the four you know, avatars that are coming out. So. <laughs> oh boy, Jennifer Lawrence didn't star in this one, Steve. Oh, good. That was Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> oh, Sigourney Weaver's in Avatar. Just you know, spoilers. <laughs> and, and and apparently Kate Winslet is a is a new character in the new one. So. Really? Yeah. Yeah, hey, yeah. We've got some shorthand for the for this decade. Of course. Well, every decade has its slang, and the 1980s was certainly very good at creating words. And Wait, you mean it was totally tubular? It was. <laughs> it was most excellent, Steve. Whoa! But you know what was great, though? It, the 80s took words that had existed for a long time and made them cool. I mean, the words like like gnarly and bogus and awesome, totally, all those words, totally. they all were existed in the in years and decades before that. The 80s found a way to kind of spin them and make them... So, like, if, if you're watching Turner Classic Movies, sort of guys, every once in a while I, I watch one of the old movies on there, and someone will say a word like bogus or, or excellent or something like that in, in a 30s or 40s movie, and I just have to laugh because at that point it doesn't mean what it means to us who grew up then, and and so that that was one of the cool things about eighties uh, vernacular or the slang is that most of them were words that weren't created; they were actually words that existed for so long, and it just took like Spicoli or somebody to to put a whole new spin on them and forevermore change them. Your your book um, has a murder. We've we've got a couple of kids, certainly acting young men of the time, mm -hmm. um, and then is fashion part of it? I mean, we're at the mall. A little bit, um, you know. There, it's funny. There's, there's, there's funny memes online stuff. Like, yeah, like you said, a movie, a movie in the '80s now, and everybody's got these garish hairstyles and and and, and stuff. But you know, if you lived through it, you knew it wasn't like everybody. You didn't go to a mall. And it was just like this, you know, technoir from Terminator, Blade Runner, somewhere. Everybody's you know crazy into that stuff. So it, like it's. They were like Jake from Sixteen Candles. Yeah, I mean, you, you wore jeans, and you know, I mean, it was like you know, there was there was a lot of stuff. There's you know, eyes on shirts, stuff like that. It wasn't like ridiculously over the top. But since they do work in a mall, you know, there's there's mention of, of clothes, but it, it's not a novels aren't so much a visual medium, so you don't have to you know overly you know talk about what they're wearing and stuff. I'll take a big hair any day of the week. Any day of the week, give me big hair, and I will watch your movie, my friend. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In 86, 85, and then I was really kind of the height of, of 80s, you know, right in that middle. I was I was very blessed that I was a freshman, sophomore, junior, 84, 85, 86, 7. I mean, that's just, you know, it's, it's those are very different years than 80, 81, 82. They really were. Mm -hmm. For sure. No. Yeah. And the, uh, the D.C. area, certainly Maryland has a part to do with it. Do you feel, from living in other areas or visiting other areas, do you think the D.C. area has uh, something that's unique about it? Um, yeah. I mean, for one, there's just, there's a lot of people who move to it if you're in the D.C. part of it, uh, just because of government and everything. And, but there's also just a very large amount of people who just have grown up there for decades. So it's also what we were talking about earlier. There's a very large chasm of, of wealth and non-wealth there all mixed in with the same in the same melting pot so it really is kind of a melting pot there and then even back then there was just a lot of traffic congestion and things were growing at that point um so when you put in a lot of money and a lot of people you're going to get all the stuff that you would normally get out of a decade so all the all the businesses 
all the personalities. It's it was a major part. We've always had the major concerts coming in, you know, like the the big victory tour of the Jacksons back then and Madonna. All all the big people came to Cap Center or RFK Stadium. And uh, so you didn't you didn't miss anything back then, which was great. Whereas out in some of the rural areas where America was still still very much growing, you had to travel quite a ways to get to the 80s in a way, you know. Well, in fact, as a person who grew up in North Carolina, mm -hmm. if we wanted to see many of the major bands, Raleigh and Charlotte did not have the not big then. arenas at that time. We had to go up to Meriwether Post, which was oh, wow, up in fun. Maryland. We had to drive wow. to D.C. area. I mean, wow. through D.C. and get to the Maryland side, and that's where you could see New Order, or you wanted to see, you know, just Pesh Mode, or something that certainly they, there wasn't a market for down here. We were we were so lucky, we didn't even know it. Like, when we would go on field trips back then, you know, living in Laurel, uh, and going to the schools there, we would go down to, like, the Smithsonian, or the Capitol, or the, you know, places like that, that people spend much, a lot of money to come to from other parts of the country, you know? So our field trips were just, you know, to use the term much later off the hook. I mean, back then, you know I mean? They, they, were, just, they were incredible to, to go and see these places. Even Baltimore had great stuff like Fort McHenry and, and, and great, you know, history and stuff where the Star Spangled Banner was written. And, and the, the aquarium. Um, the, the National Aquarium and this Maryland Science Center, which were very new back in the 80s. Yeah. 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 And the Inner yeah. Harbor, which was being redeveloped. So, and to, to give it to sort of a little perspective, in the Chicago area where my children went to school, they went with their school once. They flew in and took their, uh, I don't know, four-day tour, three-day tour mm -hmm. of D.C. and flew back. Growing up in North Carolina, because we we're close, um, they would throw us on a bus. We would be in D.C. We would go for the day. Mm. And so we're, we're taking like a four-and-a-half-hour uh, <laughs> You're tired of getting there, yeah, yeah. We, you know, leaving at two in the morning or whatever, getting yeah. you know the Smithsonian all day, and then they throw us back on a bus and send us home that night. Mm, that was certainly. Um, oh, but you know what? That's that's the beauty of location and having oh, yeah, and like we had like field available. Sure, we had field trips like that too. Like if you wanted to go to New York City or something like that, and did do the bus thing. Or, or I remember one one really great one was going to Philadelphia and seeing the Liberty Bell on the Mint and things like that. And so yeah, yeah. Yeah, but but for the most part, yeah, it was like a half hour down to, you know, the monuments and the the, the Lincoln Memorial, the Jefferson Memorial, all that stuff. I mean, those were our field trips. Man. It was it was it was good stuff. I had a great uncle that worked at the Mint. He made a million dollars a day. <laughs> nice. <laughs> About um, Rimshaw. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I am contributing. So what we should ask is if if our listeners wanted to find out about your current projects and your other um, writings, how would they find them? Well, for right now, I mean, I, I tell all my stuff on, on on the old man's social media, Facebook. So you can you can friend me, and I I, I tell a lot of stuff that I do. I've I've gotten more into ego called me to start writing plays and stuff for the stage because for so long I'd have film review column for a long time for about twenty some years, and then writing Muffy McGregor as a novel, and it, it all of it was was wonderful response from people and stuff. But what you don't get, you don't get. You don't sit next to the person reading your novel and waiting for them to laugh or, or like or like be you know gasp at a, at a plot twist or something like that. But when you can get something on the stage and you can sit in the audience and you can hear the audience respond with laughter or or oh you know an emotional moment or something like that, 
it, it's it's pretty addictive. And when you hear you know good actors reading your dialogue, there's it's 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 a really cool thing. So, um, so you know, I, I've had a few things produced here locally, some short plays um, and some some kids plays, a lot of fun stuff. Right now, I'm actually trying to get. It's not a sequel to Muffin McGregor, but I kind of call it a sidequel. Uh, but it's a full-length play. I'm trying to get some interest in, in getting it staged somewhere. Uh, it's called Mary. It's called it's called Emily Gaunt and the Mall She Haunts. So it's set in the same mall, same era, same uh, store, and it's a uh, it's it's a ghost story in the mall. Well, um, guess what? You've got a person in your area that will work with you. That we could probably find something. Yeah, hey. Uh, this could be the beginnings of a beautiful friendship. <laughs> excellent. You love it. Excellent. Excellent. That, that was the totally gnarly, way bogus murder of Muffy McGregor. And you yep. can find that. We've got a link right in our show notes, and we'll link it underneath the show, too. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate the the, the, uh, the exposure, the, the, the opportunity for this. Uh, it's, been, it's, it's always fun to talk. The book is always fun to talk 80s. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> totally. Yes. Scroll with it. Brings us to our scroll with it. It is the last episode of Too Much Scrolling for 2022, Chip. Yeah, we're, we're in the middle of our ninth year, though, Steve. Yeah, mm-hmm. nine years we've been doing this. Time to get to our favorites of 2022, a segment that we've been doing every year for going on nine years listing. Now, uh, here's our cautionary tale. We are listing our favorites of 2022, not necessarily the best of 2022. There's a big difference between what I like and what's good. <laughs> well, that's right. That's why there's always an asterisk there, Steve. That's right. Our favorites of 2022. Teddy is here to explain some of his favorites of 2022 along with us. Glad to have you along. Thank you. Thank you. This is going to be fun. So let's start in the category of books. Uh, we read a lot of books here on Too Much Scrolling. We do a book of the week, we review, and we get together with Pam Bedore and do our, our monthly book club. So what are some of your favorite books of 2022, Chip? Well, the, the book that I listed was The End of the World is Just the Beginning, Mapping the Collapse of Globalization by Peter Zeehan. That came out this um, summer. And that was probably the most, if you, if you wanted to know how I like information presented to me, this is certainly what I like. It works in my profession. And certainly he's kind of a futurist, but he's a person who can gobble down a lot of information and make it digestible, kind of spit out, these are things that I'm thinking about, this may happen, and this is maybe how you should be able to think about some of the issues going on. Uh, on with us now. Um, well, he's talking a little bit about, uh, you know, the end of COVID, um, about how the United States is going to be put in the future, how we are to act in the future, and how uh, globalization may not be the way uh, things are uh, are working right now. We've got, uh, it, it's very timely in the sense of what's going on in China right now, and also what's going on in the Ukraine and uh, with Russia right now. Hmm. Um, but I think that my most positive book that, that I would like to talk about would be Wild Problems, a, gu- a Guide to Decisions that Define Us by Russ Roberts. I want to be Russ Roberts when I grow up. He is the host of Econ Talk. I have learned so much about how to ask questions, how to think about things, 
how to deeply think about things. And this book is a cautionary tale on how the, the most important decisions we make may be aided by technology, but many times they're leaps of faith. And uh, my my favorite um, memory of reading this book was there was a gentleman who was one of the leading researchers on decision-making, was given an offer for Harvard University versus Stanford, and he was really struggling with it, and he's talking to his colleagues. He is a leading person on, uh, on decision-making theory, and uh, one of his colleagues turns to him and says, yeah, but, you know, you know, you can put a list of, you know, positives and negatives, and the guy turns to him, he goes, but this is real life. <laughs> <laughs> Making decisions is difficult, for sure. Knowing which way to jump is is interesting. And, and that futurist piece of the other book, thinking about what our choices today will lead to in the future, decision-making can be stifling, for sure. Oh, yeah, so many variables. Teddy, what is your favorite book of 2022? My favorite was Madly Deeply, The Diaries of Alan Rickman. Now, Alan Rickman was just an actor I absolutely adored. I mean, just was an absolutely terrific uh, actor. Been in everything from Die Hard to the Harry Potters to, you know, Sense and Sensibility. I mean, he was just, and you can't, I mean, just probably saying his name, you probably are hearing his voice in your head. And so just imagine reading his direct thoughts and they were they weren't from a lifelong thing. I think it was from like '93 to around the time of his passing. So really, his his prime celebrity years. And just to uh, read some of his just hilarious observations, uh, very droll sometimes, very direct. One of my favorites was uh, Helena Bonham Carter. He loved her. He called her a middle school boy's sense of humor, and he apparently loved the line take out your wand and just she she had giggle fits every time she had to say something like that and uh um uh, I, I i there was a movie called dogma it was a kevin smith movie and, mm -hmm. and we would just have alan rickman and a kevin smith movie. i always wondered what because i never even seen interviews with him based on that movie so here to to read his he said he was in a, a room with suddenly i'm in a room with uh, a bunch of baseball caps and cigarettes and potato chips and then we just proceeded to bungee jump through the script. You know, so that's just, that's I mean, great stuff. I mean, if you, if you, if you love Rickman and you, you, you have your voice, have his voice in your head when you're reading. He, he was a Shakespearean actor. Yeah. Curtain Shakespearean calls. <laughs> Galaxy Quest. It all comes back to Galaxy Quest in the show, yeah. doesn't it? Oh, Galaxy Quest, What, oh. Oh, what a great... Great actor. Fantastic actor. Fantastic. Yes. Actor, fantastic. Uh, yes, Dogma is is my favorite of Alan Rickman's work. But yes, uh, Die Hard is certainly one of those oh. uh, evergreens that keeps coming up every Christmas, doesn't it? Greatest Christmas movie. <laughs> <laughs> we'll start a whole nother debate show on that one. So. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen Daniel Radcliffe talk about uh, Alan Rickman, but he has been incredibly generous on his love for him. And one of the things he said was that Rickman treated him like a real actor. Mm. Um, and, you know, you know, you have to think about when uh, Daniel Radcliffe started, he was really, really young. Mm -hmm. sure. um, and, you know, he had to be this mean guy to him uh, mm. until you, you, you got the reveal at some point. Right? Spoilers. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry, Steve. Steve, that was the guy who played Weird Al. 
Yeah, we'll get to Daniel Radcliffe in a moment, <laughs> won't we? Let's talk about my books of 2022 first. I've chosen one fiction and one nonfiction, as I tend to do in this. My fiction book of the year is The Lincoln Highway by Amor Tolls. This is a phenomenal road trip of a story told from so many different perspectives. I love the way that the author has put together this story in the voices of all the different characters. This, I'm so glad that we read this together with Pam Bedore this year. This was an incredible book. And I will attest that this is, I mean, I, I think Amar Tolls, as he releases stuff, I will have to read it because everything I've read, um, The Gentleman in Moscow, uh, the Lincoln Highway has been so good. Mm-hmm. My nonfiction title of the year is How Civil Wars Start and How to Stop Them by Barbara F. Walter. This is a uh, eye-opening look at how civil wars have occurred throughout history and some of the check boxes that maybe we have already checked in the United States in the year 2022. A little bit frightening, but at the same time, very positive in in knowing how these things work and how maybe we could uh, keep from having a civil war in our country. Didn't we read this as a group read too? This was also a Pam Bedore book. Yes, sir. So Pam Bedore also has her vote for our favorites of 2022 in the category of books. Our book expert chimes in with her favorite. And we need to remember this book because we do have an announcement at the end of our show. Cool. Spoilers. Yes. You know, our favorite book maven is Pamela Bedore, and she has a favorite book of 2022 as well. Well, I always hesitate to say that I have a favorite book because, of course, I've read 114 novels in 2022, and so many of them are amazing. However, I just read one that I think is fantastic by Raika Aoki, and it's called Light from Uncommon Stars. It's from 2021. And I actually thought it was incredible. I I hesitate to use the word transcendent, but it transcends so many things. It transcends genres. It transcends identity categories. And guys, it has unexpected aliens, which always makes me happy. So I can highly recommend this book. Like Santa Claus Conquers the Martians? (laughs) I just want to say- Yes, Steve, exactly like that. (laughs) So so our- you know, when we think of Kyle Hickman, who will have seen, I don't know, 360 movies in 365 days. Pam's reading 114, you said? Novels? I usually try year? to read 100, but I went a little over this year. Oh, my goodness. I mean. Amazing. <laughs> you are an amazing person, Pamela Bedore. <laughs> I have many titles I could recommend, but I really do think, and I think you guys would really like this book, too. We don't just read books on this show, though, Chip. We also watch movies. And by we, I am speaking French. (laughs) Steve, (laughs) we should start this segment off. You can start us off. Name your favorite movie that's not named Weird, the Al Yankovic story. Oh. (laughs) You're absolutely right, Chip. That is my favorite movie of 2022. (laughs) Weird, the Al Yankovic story is a phenomenal piece of work it is so silly it is so ridiculous it is so outside of the norm i i just adore everything about that film it's a true story steve <laughs> absolutely <laughs> it's in wikipedia now i'll tell you that much i don't I know how, real, yeah. 
how else would we know how he influenced Michael Jackson? Hey, Michael Jackson <laughs> totally ripped off Eat It and made it something. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, what is that song even about? Is it about eggs? <laughs> I love that movie. I love that movie. I did list two films in my favorites for 2022, other than Weird, the Al Yankovic story. These, Chip, are the two films that I went to a movie theater and saw in 2022. In fact, you saw the first one multiple times, yes. but where we got introduced to it was when we were down in Chicago for uh, Fan Expo, right? That's right. I was able to finally meet the guys from Clerks this year, and oh. we had such a great time having a conversation with them, and Clerks 3 hit theaters this year, and I went to the movie theater and sat down with my son and, and just enjoyed the heck out of this movie. I enjoyed it so much, I have since purchased a digital copy and two Blu-ray discs, one for me and one for my son. Yes. For posterity, Steve, for posterity. It, Clerks is, is a special story for me as a person who was working in a video store in 1990 when the first movie came out. I identify with these guys and their slacker attitudes of Gen X. Kevin Smith is the voice of Gen X for me in so yep. many ways. Oh, I mean, you know, it, it, everything we were talking about with the 80s, Kevin and Jason Mewes and all those guys. I mean, when we talk shorthand, when you're doing references, I mean... Just so many, anything Star Wars related, of course, you know, with the, the contractors on the Death Star, you know, bit, and, uh, you know, like in Dogma, where he was just like, wow, it's like you're Obi-Wan and I'm Luke and we're in that effed up bar. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, snoochy boochies, everyone. It's yeah, baby talk, Chip. <laughs> <laughs> My other favorite film of 2022 is the other film that I saw in a movie theater. That's Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness. It is my favorite Sam Raimi movie. If Sam Raimi was given Disney money, this is a Sam Raimi film. Please, please understand that lots of people like the MCU, the Marvel cinematic universe, and lots of people don't watch Sam Raimi's work. I love both of them. And this was just a perfect marriage of those two. And if we had to kind of pick out your Halloween pick for the year, what would that be? Right. If you're going to let me, if you will allow me, <laughs> I would love to choose Werewolf by Night. This was a Marvel special presentation on Disney Plus. 42 minutes of storytelling that is just brilliant. Brilliant storytelling, great characters, the visuals on it, fantastic. And it's not just because I know some of the people who made this amazing special it is an amazing piece those of you who have not seen werewolf by night if you're a fan of 1930s horror movies if you love dracula and frankenstein and all of those black and white storytelling moments werewolf by night is a phenomenal phenomenal piece well we're very blessed to have uh teddy with us today teddy used to review movies yeah and uh, he's got a couple of movies for us uh, right now. Tell us about this first one. Well, The Fablemans is my the best thing I saw this year so far. I mean, we're still got a little bit ways to go. But uh, uh, it's not so loosely based on Steven Spielberg. He, Steven Spielberg made the movie, directed it, co-wrote it. And first time he contributed on a screenplay in a long, long time because he had written like, Close Encounters and earlier in his career. It's essentially his life, him growing up in the 50s, early 60s and getting his first movie camera. All the while, his parents' marriage is disintegrating, 
and he's being moved around because his father is an engineer and he's always getting these you know great opportunities to go first to Arizona and then out to California. And it's a really terrific look into the emergence of, of genius of an artist. There's a wonderful scene in the movie where Fable, maybe the, the kid in Spielberg, his grandmother's dying and they're all, it's, it's, it's that standard scene of they're all around the bed and they're holding her hand and she's about to pass away and you see the, the heart monitor go to the flat line. Uh, but before that, he sees, and he's like maybe 14 at the time, he's watching her pulse in her neck and you can see it just slightly slowing and then stopping and then you hear the heart monitor going flatlining and it's but it just shows what he was seeing whereas everybody else was focused on her her face and her hands and everything he was seeing something different and that's what makes a great filmmaker sometimes is that they can see something and translate it to screen and you just know that he's even at that young age he's seeing the world differently and then the tension in the film becomes well how are these people going to help him get to where he needs to be in his life are they going to hinder him are they going to help him because, you know, his, his father's constantly referring to his filmmaking as a hobby, whereas the mom who's a bit uh, out there, she's just like, oh, my God, this is she, she kind of recognizes that this could be his life's calling and stuff. And so there's there's that friction there. And uh, it's just a, a wonderful film. I mean, it's just uh, beautifully shot. And uh, I, I hope as award season gets kicked in, more people will start to, to see it because it hasn't really done quite well at the box office. We talked about John Hughes. When mm -hmm. uh, we were discussing your uh, your book, but you know the the other side of that would be Steven Spielberg. No one captured the eyes of the of youth better yeah. than than Spielberg did. the The family, the divorce family. He certainly caught, I don't know, the seventies, the eighties. I mean, he got action right, and he he certainly made beautiful films that had you know incredible voices. But man, you know, through E.T. and all those others, he sure. really captured the, what a young person would see. He, he, he knew how yeah. to write a family movie. Yeah. And a lot of his early stuff was based on a fractured family. Uh, you know, Close Encounters was about a, a father leaving his family due to an obsession. Sure. Uh, you know, the, 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 the E.T., that family was the product of a divorce, you know, in that in that film and that that, that lonely boy finding this this kindred spirit and this alien, you know, and, and uh, yeah. And, that, and that's what gave those films that extra kick, I guess you would call it, you know, as opposed to just, okay, it's an alien. They got to get them home or these are aliens coming to visit us. You know, a lot of people can write that, but to put the extra stuff in that, that shades it and makes it seem relatable to people, you know, and there's a, there's just a wonderful human element in those early blockbusters that some of the imitators didn't quite get. Yeah. In, in Close Encounters, you know, there's the family scene where they're at the table having dinner. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he uses mashed potatoes as an artistic statement. This means yeah, something. I mean, this is important. This means something, yes. Yeah, and then when you find out, when you have that, and he does, Spielberg did those great reveals. Remember how he figured it out where he was watching, he'd, he'd, he'd made this humongous model of it in his living room, and the TV is on in the background, and they're talking about this catastrophe out in Wyoming. And you just see Devil's Tower for the first time on that small TV screen. And then, you know, the, the way the camera comes in on it, and everything, it's just, it's great stuff. I mean, brilliant stuff. Oh, he, he truly is a master of that. Many people went to the theater for the first time in a few years uh, and got to see this next film that you listed because, um, yeah, I went to see it. 
it was maybe might have saved movie theaters. Top Gun Maverick, you know. I mean, it's uh, that thing lingered on, and the, the money making wise, I mean, it's up to like seven hundred million or something uh, domestically, and. And it was a really good movie, too. I mean, that was the thing. I mean, it's like, and the powers that be really fought to say, no, we're not going to put this on the street. We're not going to, we're not going to cave. And, you know, during the pandemic, a lot of stuff, okay, we got to get on. So we got to make some money somehow. No, they, they kept it out until they could return and put that thing on the big screen. And, the, and if you saw it on the, the, the best possible presentations, I mean, it was, uh, it was an adrenaline rush. It was, it was, you know, a lot of people think it's better than the original. And, uh, it's right. It's certainly right up there. You can you totally mention it in the same breath, and you wouldn't be laughed off at, at all. Uh, it's what, it's a legitimately good movie. So I saw it in a packed theater. Um, mm -hmm. I saw it in Chapel Hill, and um, what I remember also was at before the film started, Tom Hanks had a recording yeah. thanking everybody for coming to see this film. So yeah. you just said it. It it may have saved cinema. May have saved your local theater. Yeah, 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 because that thing was playing on about, you know, two, three, four screens, and for a good couple months, they were packed, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, it cut across, and it cut across demographics in a way that um, hadn't been seen in, in, in a while, I think. Um, I think that was one of the reasons why we talked to Cameron about James Cameron. When Titanic hit, and it became such a huge thing, it brought some people into the movie theaters that hadn't been there in a while, you know, and same thing with Top Gun Maverick. Uh, I just know people who've only seen Top Gun Maverick in the last four years in a movie theater. And I bet if you check your paper, I'm sorry, no one would check the paper. If you check online, um, <laughs> you probably could find Top Gun still playing at a theater. So, Chip, what are your favorite movies of 2022? Well, my, my highest rated film that I've seen this year was Tar, but the, I would not say that that was my favorite film. Okay. So Tar certainly is an interesting film and very, very good. But the film that I will mention is Bullet Train. It was an adrenaline rush. It was a simple story. Um, it was uh, Brad Pitt. He had a mission to do. He was going to get on a train. He was going to pick up a briefcase. And he was out during an entire, uh, I don't know, hour and a half He during fight scenes. He was trying to find his moment of zen. And mm. uh, so there was humor in it, a simple story, fast-paced, beautifully filmed. And just enjoyable. And at the end of it, I said, wow, this was this was fun. And it just reminded me of why going to the theater was fun. So an yeah. action movie that's not a superhero, not an MCU movie, but still has that that zeitgeist of, of that action. Yeah, at some point, we have to move beyond that. There's nothing wrong with uh, going to a youthful film and experiencing things through the eyes of a young person. Okay. But at the same time, we want to go to theaters and, and, and experience something where you don't have to put an investment in learning something, you know, 15 movies away. The other movie I wanted to mention was Good Luck to You, Leo Grand. This was a film that I really enjoyed. It stars Nanny McPhee, Emma Thompson, and the idea was um, to make an adult film. No, I mean, I'm sorry, a, a grown-up film about um, a woman who wants to experience life and with some grown-up experiences and feels life has passed her by. And what is interesting about this, this was written by a woman, this was directed by a woman, and it was starring a woman. And 20 years ago, I'm not sure if 
this type of film would have been tackled. Hmm. And what I really enjoy about this is that this film was tasteful and certainly talked about people of an adult nature mm-hmm. and sort of some of the things that they want to go through. There's there's a good diversity of, of movies this year, 2022. A lot of interesting stories being told from lots of different interesting perspectives. What's going on in your life in 2022? What are What are some of your favorite moments? What's been happening in 2022 for you, Teddy? Well, um, look, uh, one of the big news events, I thought, just because I just think it was, I don't think even, it, it was so historic, the, the death of Queen Elizabeth II. I mean, it was just, that was so, I remember watching it, I, I worked from a home office, which is great because you can put the TV on. So when you have something like that gets an all day coverage kind of thing, you can have it on in the background. And I, I immediately went to the, the BBC part and I, I love that there was a, there was a guy on there who noted that. You know, this woman's reign lasted through 15 British prime ministers, 14 American presidents, and every single James Bond. And I'm like, that's, a, that's, a, that's, like, that's such a wonderful observation, you know? <laughs> and, and so that was, uh, I mean, that was certainly something that was really, really historic to, to, to witness, you know? Um, somebody like that passing in, in, your, in, in, your, in your lifetime who's been in who's been who she was and it was to the world every single year of your life you know i mean i'm yeah. 50 52 uh so you know and everybody who was born he said 29 the- right he said 29 29 yes okay okay <laughs> so yeah i mean just that was that i thought that was just a, one of the, a really major historical event and and the other was the the slap heard around the world, uh, you know, that Will Smith smacking, dope smacking Chris Rock on stage, you know, uh, at the Oscars. So he was a real nice. He was a real life Thanos. <laughs> that was snap, not the slap. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, that was I'm, definitely a moment that uh, was a gasp. Uh, the world didn't know what to make of it because Will Smith has done a lot of comedy. He is a comedic actor sometimes. And we were shocked that this was not a bit that Chris, yeah. who is definitely a comedian, did, uh, no, it was not. No, well, no. And, and it's something that, I mean, you can imagine your career mm-hmm. being defined by something where you, you certainly did um you took an action that you certainly would, if you could take it back, you would take it back. I agree. Sure. Steve, you had some fun with yours. I always have fun, Chip. I, I have fun all day long. My favorite part of 2022 was the 13th season of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Uh, it premiered in March, and us Kickstarter backers got to see it then. The rest of you riffraff got to see it in May of 2022. They just wrapped the 13th season. It's in the books, and I... I can't imagine my life without the community of people that sit and watch these stupid, awful, terrible movies with us. And we (laughs) just bring so much joy to each other. The app, the new Gizmoplex is something special. We can go and watch movies together, even when we're separated, even when we are across the country, around the world, we can sit together and enjoy our little Cowtown puppet show. I I love this community. Well, there's just so many um, wonderful things that happened this year. Let's talk about some of the uh, the scary ones, Steve, because, you know, what we ended up having was COVID said goodbye to us, but COVID decided to return with his pals flu 
and RSV. Ooh. And I don't know if your school is experiencing it, but certainly the, when you, if you watch the news right now, there's a lot of scary moments for, for uh, parents with young children. At least we are living in fear of those things. In in some schools, we are seeing a, a lot of cases. The hospitals are stacking up once again with COVID cases. And yeah, there's there's a lot of fear around that in 2022. And inflation, you know, decided to come and, and just rip your, your purchasing power away from you. The stock market went down. We had a lot of like um, interesting things going on in the economy. And that's just basically we, we came out of COVID and, and all of a sudden they've got to tighten up some uh, some balance sheets and stuff. Certainly, um, it's been a very interesting year concerning that, too. Um, we did have a, a lot of fun with uh, NASA with their dart going up there, just like Bruce Willis uh, <laughs> and, and landing on a uh, asteroid and moving that asteroid. So, you know, the, the deal is, is that Bruce Willis can save humanity when we're ready. In a Dodge dart. <laughs> In a NASA dart, Steve. NASA In a NASA dart. dart. <laughs> <laughs> and don't forget that Elon Musk bought, bought uh, uh, Twitter, mm-hmm. set it free, mm. and uh, no one is happy. And, and, and they're willing to share that, Steve. With 280 characters or less. Yeah, there, there's a whole lot of question marks around the freedom of speech and Twitter. And yes, Elon Musk had set out to set it free. And I don't know that he's achieved that goal yet. <laughs> and in fact, it's really been hit pretty hard. I don't know if you saw that there's a board member asking for his resignation from Tesla. and said, if you're going to work on this, then you're not working on this car company. So he's... He's going to have some things that he's going to have to answer to in the next year also. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so I also wanted to mention Herschel Walker, who um, I don't know if you know this. He was a running back for the University of Georgia. He won the Nobel Prize. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, he won- no, no, he did not. He won the 19- He won the 1982 Heisman Trophy. And everybody thinks he's a fantastic football player. And all the women across Georgia kept saying, bless his heart. So (laughs) that was what I heard this year. Bless his heart. (laughs) Which I think there's probably a few meanings for that. I don't know what it means, Steve. Absolutely. (laughs) And we should mention that um, cryptocurrencies had their fun this this, uh, year. Fortune certainly favors the brave. So, uh, is that true? <laughs> is that true? Yeah, there's, there's been a lot of a uh, lot of interesting twists in the cryptocurrencies market in 2022. Never a Ponzi scheme, it's may, or maybe it is. Who knows? Uh, well, uh, fortune, fortune favors the Ponzi scheme sometimes. <laughs> and look at this: Rick and Morty announces season seven. What there do you, you know, Steve? Some time travel. That's what we need. That's that would make it all better. Twenty twenty two has been a great year for too much scrolling. We want to thank all of our listeners and all of our guests. Teddy, thank you so much for being here. And, and thank you again. Yes, absolutely. Thank you again. And we have a big announcement, Steve. That's right. We have our book for January 2023. We are reading together Light from Uncommon Stars by Rika Aoki. This is going to be an interesting, fun uh, study of all the things that are happening in the universe. 
And what we want to mention is Professor Pam Bedore has said this is her favorite book of the year. Mm -hmm. uh, in addition to that, this is going to be a very important part of the curriculum up at University of Connecticut for her classes. We get to be the uh, guinea pig, Steve, which we're pretty good at anyway, right? I, I make a great guinea pig. <laughs> we want to thank everybody for listening. Thanks to our patrons over at patreon.com slash too much scrolling. Our big thanks to our house band Grenadier for all of our music that you hear here every week. I want to thank everybody for a great 2022. Let's move forward into 2023 and the future. The future is in front of us. I don't know, Chip. I think we have enough information to survive another week. What do you think? Only if we can come back next week, Steve. I think we can. We would love to hear from you. Give us a call or a text. Our phone number is 805-4104-TMS. Our website is too much scrolling.com. Our email is too much scrolling at gmail.com. We're still on Twitter right now and Instagram and Facebook. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and YouTube. And you can always ask your smart speaker to play the latest episode of Too Much Scrolling. I want to thank you again for listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'm Steve Fodor. I'm St. Nicholas. See you in the future. Good afternoon. By the way, was there a Doctor Who for Christmas? Nope. It is the last time that there will be no Doctor Who on Christmas. There will be new Doctor Who every Christmas from now on through into eternity. Oh, good. <laughs>